Let's look to, <laughs> I love that, uh, Jesus in the Gospel of John. Solus Christus. What does that mean? Christ alone. And how do we see Christ alone in the Gospel of John? You know, I had mentioned to you uh, the messages that I was thinking about, which was initially going to be looking at maybe four of the I Ams this week and the other three next week. But as I prayed about it more, I'm going to in one sense bring all of those thoughts together as we look at Jesus Christ in John's Gospel. And we asked the question or really make the statement about Jesus and how he is in relationship to all that we are and all that we do. What do, what do I mean by that? If in fact uh, we believe in solus Christus, that it is Christ alone, it is Christ alone for everything in our lives. There is a unique way, I think, that even this is expressed in the Gospel of John, because we see even all the other solas find, in one sense, their purpose and source in Jesus Christ. Let me maybe make this statement. The relationship of the four solas to solus Christus, sola fide, faith then in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Indeed, it is faith alone. The reformers taught this, that it is not faith plus anything. It is not faith plus a pronouncement from the Roman Catholic Church. It is not that at all. It is faith and faith alone. And of course, that is birthed from even what we looked at from last week in the covenant that God has with Abraham. And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him. It was considered of him. It was appointed to him righteousness, belief. And so then there is sola scriptura, right? It is scripture alone. And then why is that connected to Jesus Christ? Because it means this, the inspired and authoritative revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, of course, scripture is a revelation of God, but in particular, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ and his redemptive plan. And then there's sola gratia, that is um, faith, that is grace alone. It is by, in fact, grace alone. And how do we see that in relationship to Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ is the example of that provision. He brings us that grace. And without Jesus Christ, we cannot live in that grace. We can, that grace cannot be extended to us without his, his life, without his death, without his resurrection. As we celebrate Palm Sunday, this time in which Jesus Christ would come into Jerusalem, and Jesus Christ put, put his face towards Jerusalem. And the scripture says, sort of like, like Flint, he was uh, um, persistent. He was absolutely determined that he would go to Jerusalem to do what? To die. And in his death, then, this grace can be extended to us. And, and plainly, of course, what does Ephesians 2 tell us? For by what are we saved? And what? And not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. No, because if in fact we could add to our salvation, contribute to it, we would all have boasting. We boast even when we don't. Imagine if we could. Yes. And then there's solo dear Gloria. That is this example that it is to, for God's glory alone. All things that we do, 
This is our life. And then when we think about this connection to Jesus Christ and him being Christ alone, it's a reflection of his mission and of his worth. Jesus Christ is altogether worthy. And that's why if you would go to the book of Revelation and you could take into account, say, for instance, Revelation 4 and 5, you see that all attention is given to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, let's just turn there. Turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 4. Chapter 4. And there's this great scene in heaven. And in this scene, verse 8, it says in Revelation 4, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings are full of eyes around and within and day and night that do not cease to say what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And it says, and when the creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and will cast down their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. But then this great scene in heaven continues. And what do we see? And I love this transition. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And there was none in heaven or on earth or under the earth able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to, what did the apostle do? He says here, I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book and to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has overcome. So as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders, a what? A lamb standing as if slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he took, he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the four 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Stop there for a moment. And here's another reason that we should be praying people, shouldn't it? Or shouldn't we? That our prayers are even offered up before this great and majestic throne of God where who is going to be worshipped? The Lamb. And it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your own blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And then it says in verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Do you look forward to that day? What a picture, isn't it? That participating in the sense of purity, the worship of the lamb. So we can say, of course, it is faith alone in him. 
Of course, we can say, absolutely, it is scripture alone. It is his revelation about him in this plan of redemption. Of course, we can say it's grace alone, because how could we think for even a moment that we could do something that would appease this great God apart from perfection? And Jesus Christ was that perfection. Of course, it's to God's glory alone. Because why would we want even our own glory? No, this glory is to be given to God. And so in John's gospel, we see this throughout. Here's this picture of Jesus Christ amplified in one sense, if you will. And how is it done? Well, in part, it's done through metaphor. And and these metaphors do what? These metaphors reach backwards to the Old Testament reference and then forward to a future manifestation. Say, for instance, the word because we see the word in the Old Testament. Now it is Jesus Christ in the flesh. We, of course, see throughout lamb, lambs that are offered, countless lambs offered. But then, as we see in Revelation 5, here is the lamb of God who is purchased with his own blood, people from every tongue and every nation and every tribe. And we did, in fact, see bread, this bread, you remember, that came from heaven. But now here's the true bread, that is absolutely satisfied. Of course, we see in the Old Testament this sense of light. And you remember as the people of God are, are exiting um, Pharaoh's tyranny, if you will. And how did God lead them at night? By what? By this fire, which was a light. And now Jesus Christ is that light. And even in the temple, there would be a candelabra. There would be a, a festival of lights. But Jesus Christ is, in fact, that ultimate light. Because he says, I am the light of the world. This fountain of living waters, you remember, as the people of God, again, they are leaving um, <clears throat> their enslavement and they come to a rock. And what happens at that rock? And the people are thirsty and Moses strikes the rock and one comes out, water comes out. But it was another time in which he struck it and it was not supposed to happen. And for that, God was pleased or displeased. He is that fountain of living waters. He is that one, he, and he spoke to that woman and said, if you drink of what I have to offer, you would not thirst again. And what did she say? Well, give me this water that I don't have to keep coming here. And she didn't quite understand it yet, did she? And of course, there's a door, and then there's a vine. Jesus Christ representing them all. And if we think about the purpose even of John's gospel Um, It is this document that is put forth to say Jesus Christ is, in fact, the fulfillment of all of these things. Give him absolute glory. And I quote um, from one New Testament scholar, Daniel Wallace, and he said this. In a real sense, the gospel is a legal document designed especially to prove Christ's deity. There are witnesses, testimonies, evidence, and signs. At the end of John's presentation, He turns to the jury with the appeal to believe his evidence. Of course, chapter 20, 30, and 31. We see this legal argument in this second major section especially. is now, believe who I am, let me put forth my case clearly. And so John makes this unique contribution to our understanding of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And it's highly appropriate that we would focus on Jesus and who he is when we think about this holy week, this passion week, when he would come to give his life a ransom for many. 
And so let me give you three considerations in how we can look at Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John, how we consider can consider that it is Jesus Christ only in John's Gospel. Number one would be this. Our hope is captured through the witnesses, through the witnesses. And of course, if there is a legal document, what does one normally do in a court case? They bring forth what? Witnesses to testify. And this happens throughout John's gospel. Number one, we see the witness of the Baptist. He says what? This is the chosen one, or he is the son of God. John 1, 34. Then there's Nathaniel, who is a witness. You are the son of God. 149. And why does Nathaniel say that? Because Jesus Christ comes to him and he tell he realizes, well, I saw you when you were even under the tree. And how is it that you know this? And he said, he tells him that he saw him there and he makes a declaration. You are in fact, the son of God. That is the only way that you could understand that. And then there's the witness, witness of Peter. You are the Holy one of God. John six and 69. And then there's a witness of Martha. You are the Christ, the son of God. Why are you the Christ, the son of God? Look, it is clearly evident that you have power even to give life. And then we know Peter's declaration, John 20 and 28. My Lord and my God. I'm sorry, Thomas's declaration. And why does Thomas make that declaration? Because Thomas was the what? The doubter. And I will not believe unless I see what? his hands and his feet. And then he says, what? Jesus Christ comes and he says, look. And he says, even put your, what does he say? Your hand into my side. And there he makes a declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God, a witness. Then John makes the declaration in chapter 20, verse 31. Jesus is the Christ the son of God. We have put forth this argument throughout this gospel, believe and have life. And then of course, if we go back, Jesus Christ makes his own declaration and he says, I am the son of God. Look with me at John chapter 10, John 10, John 10, 36. And he says, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. Go go with me to chapter four, chapter four of John, chapter four, 26. And what does it say there? Um, The woman, verse 25 says, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am what? He. I am before you. John 8, 58. John 8, 58. What a declaration that is made here. And let's begin in 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not... Come to know him, but I know him, and I say that I do not, if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? 
Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, before Abraham was born, what does he say? I am. I am. And that's a beautiful consideration as well, because one thinks that, well, is he reaching back to Exodus? In fact, that he is, because this, the revelation that God makes before Moses, who is my, well, what is my name? Who do I say um, is sending me? I am. But then this thought is picked up in really Isaiah, which we will look at when we start Isaiah. The I am statements in, in Isaiah are really the precursor, if you will, I think as far as a Old Testament prophetic book to prepare us for even John's gospel. He is that I am. So whenever you look through John's gospel uh, and see I am statements, the mind can go back to Isaiah and think about the I am statements that are there. Think about the great declaration that is made in Exodus. The witnesses are clear. But look with me to John chapter 5. John 5. And we'll begin in verse 33 because there are witnesses that are called to account here. And Jesus Christ is saying, here are these witnesses and there are four. And the four witnesses are clear. They are John, his works, the Father, and Scripture. And what does he say? You have sent to John and he testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a lamp that was burning and shining and you were rejoicing, are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John testified to me. You sent an ass from him. He made a declaration, but you did not want to believe it. He said he was the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I am that one. Believe. He was a witness. So that's John 5, 33 to 35. His works were a witness. Look at verse 36. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. So let's bring a greater witness than even John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. How do they testify about him? Because if they truly had understood spiritually the Old Testament, their hearts would have known that the Messiah would perform such signs. And now he is performing them consistently. This is the Christ. And then now there's even a greater witness. Notice in verse 37 and 38, the father and the father who has sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent me. And they would have thought, well, we believe God, but not you. That's not possible. No, I am. The father and I are, in fact, one. This is a sad place. Pause for a moment to really find yourself. I was, I did several interviews um, for those that are joining the church this week, and, and I hear their testimony and go over their testimony. And one asked me, what about your testimony? And I said, sure, let me tell you how I came to the Lord. And I went through, you know, making a profession of faith when I was young and then going into high school and began to veer away from that more. But I, I still had that sense of some moral some moral consistency, not all. And then I got into college and uh, further away from the Lord. Although I had my Bible, I would pray. Um, 
I was a never kid that was in trouble, but I think that was just for practical reasons uh, that I wasn't. And then I came to grips with something, and this is what I shared with him, that I came to grips with something that I really didn't know the Lord. I remember going to Bible studies and someone say, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I would raise my hand. Let me tell you, it says this in Romans 3, and it says this in Romans 6, and it says this in Romans 10. And this is what Jesus Christ is, and this is what Jesus Christ did. I still remember, even as a young kid, and I brought it up maybe even before, do you forgive me if I have, going with my mom as a young age, going to the Easter play, as we call it. And we go to the Easter play, and I'll never forget it at the end. They had these sort of, you know, back then, things weren't that fancy. And how he sort of come in on this line as Jesus Christ risen from the dead, and he would be above above the cave, and they would have these little lights that were shining, and he's raised from the dead. It has this impression in my heart. I knew those things, but didn't know Christ. Think about that. Even some of these religious leaders, they could tell other people about the scriptures and they could tell other people about God, but not know God. I mean, think about that for a moment. There will, in fact, be people um, who will share the gospel with others and those people will be in heaven and they will not be. Preachers that will not be in heaven but those they share the gospel with will be in heaven. And this is what we have here. You don't believe me because you don't believe him. You don't know me because you don't know him. Do we know Jesus Christ? And then the scripture speaks as well. Notice verses 39 to 47. You teach the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify of me. About me, but you're unwilling to come that you have may have life. I don't receive glory from men. You don't have the love of God in you, he says. You don't receive me. Verse 46 If you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me, did he not? So the witnesses are there. Here's a second way in which we can see Jesus Christ in this concentrated way in the Gospel of John. Number two is this, our hope is sourced in the claims of Christ, his seven I am statements. And one is, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate this bread that came from heaven, but yet they did what? They hungered again. I'm that bread that comes from heaven, and if you would eat of me, you would not be hungry again. Dine with me, dine of me is what he is telling them. And then he would make this statement in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And beautifully uh, timed, as this celebration would have been happening at this time, imagine even in the temple that is full of candelabra, and they're thinking about, yes, in fact, this celebration, and Jesus Christ would come and say, no, I am the fulfillment of that. I am, in fact, the light of of the world come to me because all men without Christ stand in darkness. Do they not? But Christ brings forth spiritual light. Then he says in chapter 10, I am the door for the sheep. Look with me at chapter 10, chapter 10, verse seven, 10 verse seven. So Jesus 
said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But however, in contrast, the thief comes to do what? Steal and kill and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it how? Abundantly. Abundant life. And of course, there are many people who confuse that nowadays. They say, well, the abundant life is the material life. Do they not? Atrocious. No, Christ came that might have life abundantly. I would have joy and an abiding peace. That whatever guilt that I've ever felt for my sin is now taken away. I have this security that I can stand in him and nothing can change that because of his sufficient sacrifice on the cross. I am that door, that entryway. Then, of course, right there in chapter 10, verse 11 and 14, he is the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. What a statement even of his intimacy here. I know them spiritually and they have a knowledge of me. Of course, unlike these religious leaders, you don't know me because I don't know you. And think about that tragic day. And I mentioned before someone sharing the gospel with another person, but they themselves not coming to Christ, not being in heaven. Clearly articulated in Matthew 7, is it not? What is going to happen on that day? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And they prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never what? Knew you. Never knew you. I mean, I think about it, horrifying. I go back to my college days and imagine it. If not for the grace of God that decided as long as God has been God, and I always mention that I don't even like trying to put a time to that because there is no time that Jesus Christ knew me. But had he not shown his affection to me, I would have been in heaven. I would have been in hell. I would have been in hell. And I would have that, that had a little King James Bible that my church gave me. Washington Shores Presbyterian Church is what it said. A gift as I went off to college. But Lord, I have my. But Lord, I, I knew Romans 10. But Lord, I, I could quote from Romans 3. Lord, I, I live a fairly moral life. Lord, I told other people that you were the way, the truth and the life. I had that memorized. I never knew you. Oh, that's sobering. That's sobering. Every time, uh, you know, the elders get together, we always pray in the morning around 8 a.m. for the services who's preaching. And it seems like, I don't know, maybe for a couple of years, my tendency is to always pray as I did this morning for those who are in our midst but they don't know the Lord. There may be people in this room. You're here, you're learning, you appreciate the things that are said, but you don't know the Lord. And if you were to die and you pass into eternity, it would be, I never knew you. And Jesus Christ said, um, then if it is depart from me, you workers of iniquity. 
And I think about that for a moment. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Wait a minute, they just said that they preached and they did good things. How can they also be a worker of iniquity? God, I was a moral person. How can I be a worker of iniquity? You're a worker of iniquity because just like these religious leaders, you were doing it all in your power. You did not respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit that was telling you, you don't know me. And just like me, that one day when the Holy Spirit, just in that moment of opening my eyes in my dorm room, I realized I don't really know the Lord. Do you know him? He is, in fact, the good shepherd who lays down his life. Then, number five, Jesus' own declaration, 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. And, of course, we know the episode, and, and beautifully set up, God delays that what might happen. Why does he delay? Yeah. Lord, had you been here, my brother, what, what did she say? Would not have died. But this is for the glory of God. And then Jesus makes a declaration even there that I am that resurrection and the life. Now, she made a declaration. I know that it will be raised in that day. But he says, I am that realization right now. Here's another consideration. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now, we know today that the tide in uh, society is to say to people like us, who believe in the exclusive nature of Christianity, that we are people who are intolerant, perhaps even haters. And that pressure will continue as time goes on. At some point in time, and I know you've been hearing a lot of this in the last year, but it's simply the reality, a time will come when if I say to someone, no, your faith is illegitimate, then there will be a price to pay. Now, there is in some degree right now socially, But who really cares about that? And in one sense, you could also say at some point in time, it will cost us our life. And you might even say to that, who really cares about that? As long as you die honorably. Do you agree with that? Because then I am like that thief on the cross. That I will, in fact, in that moment of my death, be with the Lord in paradise. And then I'm the true vine. John 15. I'm the true vine. Then next, here's a third way in which this is captured. Our hope is captured in the purpose of the gospel, in the purpose of the gospel. Let me walk through you with these, with you through these. First, let's go to John 20. John 20 and verse 30. John 20, verse 30. And it says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus had performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. First, the proof. They were written. These signs of the gospel. And what, is, what does he mean, signs? This is very important in John's gospel. And it's a miracle that's designed to lead people to the power of, Behind the miracle. And that's what's so important. So a sign, a miracle, but the intention of the sign is to lead people to the power behind the miracle, not to be fixed on the miracle itself. Um, 
consider John 3, 2. This man came to Jesus by night, Nicodemus, and he says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus realized, I'm not going to be fixed on the signs, the miracles, but what is behind that? And in fact, it is this power. It is the support of God. You can illustrate it this way. Um, A stop sign. Question, what do you do when you come to a stop sign? Um, My youngest now has her driving permit. And uh, and guess who's the the trainer? I am the trainer, right? So I've gone through all the kids. And now the last one. And we go out driving. And now she, all of a sudden, it's amazing how kids, when they get a permit, whereas before, when you would say, hey, can you want to run here? Oh, I'm doing this. But now that they can drive, oh, sure, I'll go with you because they know they can drive now. And so we're driving around and she's always, even now she asks, do you need to go anywhere, dad? <laughs> yeah. Now the thing about it, I'm really, I'm going to take her upon that because when she gets a full license, hey, I need to study. Can you go to, to Trader Joe's for me and stop by Lowe's and then go to Home Depot? And she's like, what, what did I get myself into? Right. But it's coming. One thing I told her, and we all need to know, when you come to a stop sign, what are you supposed to do? What does the law tell us? What? Do we make a rolling stop? Complete stop. Question. When we come to the stop sign, what are we supposed to do as far as looking? Do we stare at the sign? Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, I mean, I mean, Santa Clarita, the stop sign's here. Then you pull out. Guess what, what may happen? Boom. You look which direction? No, left, right, then what? And I told the kids, why do you look to the left again? Because guess what? Traffic is coming that way. Your door is on that side. Bad things happen. Oh, they're like, oh, yeah, that's right, huh? Left, right. Let me check again before I turn. You don't stare at the sign. It's obvious, isn't it? What a wonderful sign. And this is what you see throughout the gospel. His signs. What did Herod want? In that passion week, he is before Herod. He was hoping that Jesus would come to him so that he would see some what? Sign, some miracle. And it says that many were no longer walking amongst him. Well, in part because he said, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. I didn't sign up for that. That's not what I wanted. Many wanted to see a sign, but not the power and the person and the reason behind the sign. And this is in part why some of the preaching and things that you hear today are so ridiculous, because it's built on miracles. It's built on signs. No, the sign is to look at us, to make us, force us to say, how is that possible? He just walked on water. How is that possible? He just fed thousands. How is that possible? Who can do that? Lazarus, he was, there was a stench. How is that possible? That he could walk out. Alive, And that's why the religious leaders, even after seeing the sign, they sought to do what to Jesus and to Lazarus? To kill them both. 
Instead of saying, here we are, here's this sign, nothing like this has happened. Who is this man? But yet the hardened heart does what? Let's kill Jesus and Lazarus so that you take away the witness. And you've heard that throughout history, have you not? In some crime case, why, why is there a witness protection program? Because evil men want to do what? Take away the witness. This is nothing new. And this is what they're doing. Let's take away the witness. We see the sign, but we don't see it. So here it is. Look at John 12 with me. John 12. 37 to 43. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. And this is the beauty of scripture. We said sola scriptura. It is scripture alone. Scripture is consistent. Scripture is sufficient. And here we see another example of it. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Yeah. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah again said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted. And I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nonetheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of man rather than the approval of, of God. Yeah. So what does the Spirit want to say to us, to you that are listening? Jesus Christ became flesh and he dwelt among us. And these signs are given, these seven pictures of Jesus Christ for his own words are saying, believe me. Then I would even say to you, when you think about what he has done, who he is, how all of life is Jesus Christ, are we living accordingly? Think about some of his miracles. Let me give you turning water into wine. Um, John chapter 2, 1 through 11, the wedding at Cana, right? What a wonderful miracle it is. And then he says here that I am the creator. Believe me. Um, John chapter 4, um, 46 to 54, the healing of the official son of Capernaum. And he heals him. And what does that official do once he gets word that in which his, the time in which his son was healed? What does he do? He believed. Because he could calculate this is the time in which he simply said, it's as you will, but was really, of course, his will. And he was healed, and he believed in all of his household. And then there's the healing of the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. Um, John chapter 5, 1 through 18. God is the restorer. Only he restores. We see it in the John chapter 6. The feeding the 5,000 in the Sea of Galilee. God is a provider. Look at John chapter 6, verse 16. The feeding of the 5,000, John 6, 5 through 14. And then he is a provider. And then what we see in John 6, 6 through 20, 16 through 21, Jesus walking on the sea of, what is he saying here as he would walk on 
water. It is really a declaration that he is a sovereign protector. I control all things. John chapter 9. There's a healing of the blind man in Jerusalem. And that's one of my favorite episodes in all of scripture. I'm not sure about you. I just love that episode. There's just something that's so heartwarming about it. And you could almost see Jesus Christ as he would heal this man that is born. He is blind from birth. And I love the words. Don't you love the dialogue that he has with the religious leaders at the end of it all? When they don't want to, they didn't want to what? Believe it. They were not willing to believe it. So they called his parents and his parents says, well, we, we know that this is our son and we know that he was born blind from birth. But as to how he sees, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. And they said that for a reason, though, but we won't go into it. And they find him. And what does he say to them? I, I just love the end of it. He says, well, here's an amazing thing. Well, let's just go there. Come on. Let's, let's, let's see. Look at. Yeah. Look at John chapter nine. Look at John nine. And then. Yeah. I just love he says the man. Verse 30 says the man answered and said, well, here's an amazing thing that you do not where he is. He is from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins. And are you teaching us? So they did what? They put him out. That is a hardened heart, is it not? Instead of pausing and saying, that is true. It's been confirmed by those around him. People knew that he was a man. It's been confirmed by his parents, by the man himself. It is true. We are blind. No. It's a scary thing how hard the heart can be. I mean, think about this for a moment. They are interacting with God of gods. If I interact with someone and I share the gospel with them and, and they find holes in my argument, perhaps I'm a man. Oh, there are questions that I can't answer. I'm a man. Or oh, I didn't say it in the best way possible. I'm a man. But you are face to face with the living God. And then you're hearing his very words. And he's speaking these very truths. And this man is speaking these truths and you just say, no, you can't teach us. And this is why Isaiah said what it said, because they thought they saw, so they won't see. They thought they knew, so they won't know. And this is what a person has to do when they come to a genuine faith in the Lord, is realize, I don't really know. I don't really see. That's what I had to come to grips with. I don't really know the Lord. But here's the scary thing about the heart, too. Because in that time, which I... I realize I don't really know the Lord, do I? That I'm going to hell, and I believe that. But you know what my initial response was? Do you know what my initial response was? Do you know what it was? Do you want to know? <laughs> I said to myself right there in that, on the campus of the University of Cincinnati, but I'm not ready to change. Yeah. I'll never forget it. 
That's why sometimes when you see me and I'm so enthusiastic about the grace of God and forgiveness, and at times you may see something well up in me and tears come to my eyes because I will never forget that, realizing that I didn't know the Lord. And because I believed in hell, that I was headed to hell. But in my twisted heart, I said, but I'm not ready to change. And oh, by the grace of God, I am who I am. Amen. Amen. God intervened. And what did he do in that time? And that's why in part I love so much. If you ever come to our house and hopefully we'll have our Sundays at the Hargroves again, you'll see over the fireplace, but God. And how it's used through scripture. Dead, transgressions, sins, but God, Ephesians 2, 4, being what? Rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together in Christ, but God. And this is what's true throughout biblical history. There must be that sense of divine intervention because without divine intervention, man, men are left to their own devices. And what will those devices gain them? Hell. The goal? A couple minutes. The goal. (laughs) No, it really is a couple minutes. Go back with me to John 20. John 20. So the goal, and it is clearly stated here, he says, These things, they're written so that you may what? Believe. That's the goal. Clearly the gospel presents the Son of God. But it does more than that. It also expects a response to the legal argument. A response of belief. Pestuo, this word for faith. Interesting, you find it 98 times in the gospel of John. But the noun which is a different form, obviously, not once do you see it. Now in Paul, you will often see, Paul talks about the faith, the faith, the faith handed over, the faith which we have. John doesn't do that. He simply talks about believing, believing, believing. Paul focuses on the noun. John is believe. It is a gospel of belief. 98 times believe, 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 believe. And that's essentially what one does. They have presented an argument and they say, here's our case. Now to the jurors, we would hope that you would d- determine that he is guilty or not guilty or to the judge that you would make this decision. Here's the evidence. Do you believe the prosecution? Do you believe the defense? So we see all of this. And that's why in one sense in John's gospel, you don't see some of the key elements that you see in the synoptic gospels. There is no journey to Jerusalem. There's no Olivet Discourse. There's no Sermon on the Mount. There's no Transfiguration. There's no parables. Because he focuses his gospel around these seven I am's and making sure that you believe. Do you trust? The object. That's the last thing to think about. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I mean, every person has a belief system. And in that system, their efforts are going to be directed to something or someone, right? Um, some believe, absolutely, self-empowerment. I can do this. Some believe in the, the common good of society. We will get better. 
Why does one need an exclusive savior? Mankind will rise to the occasion. Others, of course, believe in Muhammad, and some believe in Joseph Smith, and some believe in the Watchtower Society, and some believe in Buddha, and some believe in Hinduism. But those are all roads to destruction. You must believe in Jesus Christ. Believe. Number four is the reward. And it says here, and here it is. I'm done. Um, He says, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. And notice how it ends. Where is it? Life in his name. And no other name has been given under heaven by which man may be what? Saved. His name. This is why it comes back to it is Christ alone. Faith alone in him. The scriptures alone that speak of him. Right? God's glory alone. And we will glorify him. Do you believe? I ask you that before we depart. Do you really believe? Are you certain that if your life were to end this very day, you would be welcomed by these everlasting arms because of his sufficient work in your life to pay the penalty of your sins? And if you believe this, then you have life abundantly. And if you don't, the scripture says the wrath of God this very moment is abiding over you. What a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ. Obviously, there's so much more that can be said. But hopefully, this is something you can cherish and take to heart as you think about Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem to give his life a ransom for many. Father, we thank you for your grace that you show us. Help us, God. Those who do believe to now, as Paul would say, that we would nurture this belief, this faith. For those that may be here, Lord, and they don't really believe that you would open their eyes. Give us grace. Amen.